hope that you've been challenged each week to be uh, reading along uh, in our series, and I know that many of you uh, have expressed to me that you are, are doing so. I also uh, hope that you're challenged all the more to go back and to, uh, to pick up your Bible, to read and to reread and to reread uh, this great book about Jesus and His church. I was talking to um, a mentor of mine uh, this past week, and um, it was interesting. I was talking to him about uh, reading through the book of Revelation and how, um, how God has been ministering in, in my life through uh, this, this book. And I said, look, I said, probably 10 years ago in ministry, whatever, if, if, um, someone, if someone said, you know, what, what is the book that God is using right now to, to, to comfort you and to let you know that he's, he's there and uh, to reassure you and to get you to follow him, to challenge you, I probably wouldn't say the book of Revelation. Uh, but God has been using that uh, to, to reassure me and to, to let me know that uh, he is Lord and he is uh, in charge and he knows uh, what's going on for his church. He is leading his church. We simply need to follow him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords uh, with all the power and all the strength and all the majesty and the glory. And it's so, uh, such an honor uh, to be in his service uh, with you as his church. So we, have, um, we see some strange stuff in the book of Revelation. Now, we have to remember that uh, this is a book of, uh, of allegory, and so many, much of it is not meant to be interpreted literally, but still, you have to admit there are some strange symbols in here, aren't there? Uh, we've got the four creatures with uh, different heads and uh, with wings, uh, six wings, and uh, covered in, in eyes, uh, front and back and all over. Uh, in Revelation, you see stories of a dragon and a prostitute and lampstands and trumpets and bowls and a beast with uh, ten horns and seven heads, another beast with horns like a lamb but sounds like a dragon, uh, some strange colored horses and rainbows of different colors all around and uh, some beautiful imagery, some, uh, some frightening imagery. Now, the symbols in Revelation are not as much about information probably as they are about transformation. It's, um, it's meant to enhance our, our relationship with Christ, to help us to grow in our relationship with Christ and understanding of who He is and, and all of His power and all of His majesty. The central purpose, really, of the book of Revelation is to make disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who are wholeheartedly in there in the fight uh, to follow Him. Now, some of these, some of these strange symbols may help us see things afresh and see Jesus in a new light and a new way, and hopefully change our lives in response. They are meant to shape us as followers of Jesus, and God uses some of these metaphors sometimes uh, to get to your heart and to how you, let you to see things in a different way. Sometimes John explains uh, some of these, uh, these different symbols, these different things, uh, like the lampstands and the dragon and the prostitute. Other times, he does not. But ultimately, the, the terrifying images of, of judgment in, in this section especially are meant to clearly show that all the empires and the power and the rulers will fall away, but God remains and Jesus is Lord over all. And so, Revelation, I, I think, is probably 
meant to be experienced more than it's meant to be understood. It's not about charts and graphs as much as those are, are out there. It's about Jesus and his church. And it should move us to discipleship and evangelism. It should move us toward discipleship in, in being followers of Jesus and saying, hey, I want to learn more of Jesus. I want to get to know more of who he is, and I want to follow him. And it should lead us in evangelism in that we are sharing who Jesus is with others. And uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Fred Roth, used to say, evangelism is that glorious process of moving people toward Christ, and it's not complete until the evangelized become the evangelist. Uh, revelation should move us toward that. An excitement of who Jesus is, a, a, an allegiance to say, I will follow Jesus, I will trust in Him, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and nothing can stand in His way. He has all the power and all authority. And I will tell the world about who Jesus is. And so we're just going to dig in uh, to this, this section, shall we? So in this section, this is a section on really uh, a lot of um, uh, the judgments on those who do not trust in God, those who have been against God and, and against, um, against the church, those who have persecuted the church, those who have decided not to trust in God, uh, but follow uh, the temptations and the deceptions of Satan. And so we'll, we'll cover uh, chapters uh, 16 to, uh, uh, to 19, really in, uh, oh, sorry, 6 to 16 in, uh, in this section. And uh, we'll talk about a few different things. And so uh, I ask you to keep your copy of the Scripture open uh, because I'm not going to read just one set of passage. I'll just read a few verses uh, here and there in different sections uh, to highlight uh, some different points about um, uh, what is going on. So um, if you remember last week, we kind of uh, concluded chapter 5 by John sees in his vision God sitting on his throne and he's holding a scroll in his hand, and uh, this scroll is sealed with seven seals. Now, whether it's uh, seven literal seals, we recognize that the number of seven uh, in, in Revelation often means complete uh, or uh, absolute, and so it's absolutely sealed. There's nothing that can open it. And John looks around, and he starts crying and crying because no one can be found and nothing can be found that can open the seals of this scroll. And nothing in heaven and nothing on earth and nothing under the earth there's nothing that has that power. And so John starts crying and crying and crying. And then one of the elders who's on the throne, uh, one of the thrones around God's throne, uh, says to John, stop crying. The Lion of Judah is here. He has conquered all, and he has the power to open uh, the scroll. He has the power to open these seals. And when John looks back to see this mighty lion, this king who has conquered all, he sees a lamb that looks like it had been slain, but yet he's standing in the middle of the throne. And the lamb comes up and uh, takes this scroll from the hand of God. And here in, uh, in chapter 6, we see where we start opening these seals and, uh, and what this means uh, for uh, the world at the time. Now, we are introduced in the, uh, the first four seals to uh, what is often called the, the four horsemen or uh, the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse uh, coming in, as you might have seen in, in movies or, uh, or stories. And uh, this is also from uh, the Old Testament imagery of the four spirits of God going uh, throughout the earth. We see that in Zechariah uh, chapter 1 and Zechariah 6, both talking about the four uh, spirits of God going throughout the earth to do God's work. We see 
in the beginning of uh, in chapter 6, as the first seal is opened, then uh, heard the four living creatures say in a loud voice, Come, and uh, I looked, and therefore was someone on a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And the Lamb opened the second seal, and uh, 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 one of the living creatures said, Come, then another horseman come out that was fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, one of the living creatures again said, Come. And there was a black horse, a rider on a black horse come. And its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then in verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, heard a loud voice from one of the creatures saying, Come. I looked, and therefore there coming before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. These four horsemen, uh, come as each of the seals is open. One of uh, the four living creatures says, Come, and one of the, a rider comes out on first a white horse uh, with a crown, uh, more likely representing uh, the, the political power. And uh, he gives them uh, the, the power to, uh, to conquer others. A rider comes out and on a, a red horse uh, who, wielding a, a sword representing the military power and he gives him the power to take peace from the earth and to cause men uh, to kill other men, people to kill other people. The black horse holding the scales representing economic power uh, and uh, is, is sent loose on, on the earth. And even the pale horse representing death itself uh, goes out and says a, a quarter of the earth uh, is, is slain, is killed uh, in different ways. In this fifth seal, in uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, He opened the fifth seal and under the altar... Uh, sorry, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge your blood? When this fifth seal is open, John sees under the altar the souls of all those who had been killed because of their faith. And they're crying out, God, how long are you going to keep letting this happen? How long until you're going to, to conquer those who are persecuting your church, those who are against you? The world sees you as weak, but yet we know that you are all powerful. When are you going to avenge? When are you going to stand strong? It's interesting to me, I just want to stop there for a moment because it's interesting to me because we often, as a, a Western church in Australia and America and the UK, you often hear the church crying out, How long, Lord? How long are you going to let things happen like this? Things just aren't going our way. We're really suffering for our faith. And yet, in reality, we have no idea what persecution is. Yet there are people in other parts of the world who are severely persecuted for their faith even today. 
We see it all the time. And yet we kind of say, God, things are not working the way I want them to. Church is not going how I want it to. When is it going to get easier, Lord? When? How long? How long, O oh Lord? Look with me in chapter uh, 6, verse 9 and 11 to see what Jesus says to them. In, in, uh, in verse 9, again, it says, uh, When the fifth seal was opened, I saw under the altar the souls of all those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and you avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I don't don't know about you, but as I read, I just go, that's probably not the answer they were hoping for. They're going, God, we've all been slain because of our faith in you. We were faithful to the end. Because of our testimony of, of who you are, Jesus, we were killed, and now people are still being killed all the time. When are you going to let this stop? Darkness seems to be ruling when we know that you are the king. You are the king of kings. When, God? And Jesus says, just wait a little longer because there are still more brothers and sisters who still need to be killed for their faith. And they will join you before I will conquer all. I I, I say this one thing just to say, and this book reassures us over and over and over that Jesus is in charge and Jesus knows what he's doing and he has a plan and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you read through the whole book of Revelation, you will see that ultimately all of those who stand against God are destroyed. They cannot stand against him. He is all-powerful and has all authority. And yet he is so gracious and he just keeps giving people opportunity to turn to him, to trust him. And the one thing I'm I'm assured of in this verse, these verses highlight that is, even though I know He knows what He's doing, and I know He's on the throne, and I know He is Lord, His ways are not our ways. They don't even make sense to us. You go, why would you let this keep happening, God? You could just stop. And yet, you will see, even in these times of judgments that we'll, we'll highlight in just a few moments, Jesus just keeps on giving people opportunity to come to Him. He keeps on keeping a few there to keep lifting him up and keep highlighting who he is and keep encouraging people to trust him. And he keeps on welcoming people into the family. He says, wait, there are many more who need to come to faith. There are many more who will die for their faith before the end. Then the sixth seal is open and there is earthquake all around. Darkness fills the sky. The, the sun is blackened out. The, red, the moon is, is red and the stars fall from the sky. And then many people who had been against God hide in in caves and anywhere they can. And they said, we cannot get away from the power of God and the power of Jesus, the one who sits on the throne in the Lamb. And then we see in the beginning of uh, of chapter 7, this beautiful passage about, uh, sorry, verse 4, it says, I heard the number of those who were were sealed by God, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And it describes all the different uh, tribes, 12,000 from each of the tribes of of Israel. And you think, well, what what is this all about? 
uh, to be sealed by God. Now, there are some who've interpreted through the years that oh, it must be a literal 144,000, and there are only 144,000 who are uh, getting into heaven. I've uh, I've seen churches in in the states uh, where they were convinced that you could only become a Christian if you accepted Christ as part of their church, and only members of their church uh, were part of that 144,000. Uh, you think that's not what he's talking about at all here. Now, this is more like not a literal 144,000 at all, but as we mentioned before, numbers are so important in the book of Revelation, and the number 12 represents the, the whole people of God. And we mentioned in the, the Old Testament, there are the 12 tribes of Israel that represent the people of God. In the New Testament, predominantly, and for this early church, uh, the 12 uh, disciples represented uh, the followers of Jesus and those who are loyal. And so overall, uh, we see through Revelation uh, numbers of, of 6 and 12 and 24 and multiples and divisions of, of 12 representing the people of God. Here, you see the 12 tribes of Israel and it says there's 12,000 from each tribe. There are thousands upon thousands from each tribe. This is representing uh, the whole uh, people of God. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 6 uh, talks about uh, a mark of the Lord being a mark of protection or a mark of belonging. And all those who belong to Jesus because of their faith in Jesus are marked uh, as followers of Jesus. They are seen uh, as followers of Jesus. In fact, the next verse in verse 9 uh, just blows that idea that it's only 144,000 kind of out of the water. as uh, And it's a, a select group because in verse 9... John says, after I looked, oh, sorry, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were all wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then all the angels and the elders were around and worshiping and praising as well. Isn't that a beautiful sign? People from every tribe and nation, every language group, every color, bowing down and worshiping any who have trusted in God are sealed and secured for all eternity. And the seventh seal opens in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Uh, the seventh seal opens. You see, God responds uh, to the prayers of His people. When He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seventh angel, seven angels who stand, stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with all the prayers of the people, went up before God from the angel's hand. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning and earthquake. This is a beautiful picture of the prayers of people going up for God. And he responds to say he is the one with power and authority. And we remember uh, last week we were talking about uh, these, these peals of, of thunder and these flashes of lightning reminding the early church of uh, the people of, uh, of Israel who were working their way uh, our, sorry, uh, Moses is, is leading them, about to give them the Ten Commandments. And from the, the mountain, as God is there and His presence is there, uh, the mountain rumbles and smokes 
with the power of God. And here, the prayers of people are lifted up to God, and He responds with great shakes of power and authority. And lets them know that He hears them, and He will act. And then we go into this big section of, uh, of judgments against those who stand against Jesus. Now, we're not going to highlight each of the verses I said. I want to challenge you to read this. Uh, in this passage, there are, there are seven trumpets and there are seven bowls. These are all judgments of those who stand against Jesus. This is found in some in Revelation 8, 9, 10, and then 15 and 16. The trumpets throughout the Old Testament, I mentioned Revelation has a lot of Old Testament in it. The trumpets throughout the Old Testament always called uh, the, the people together to hear what God was saying. We see that in Exodus 19 uh, as God is about to give His, His commands to the people. In Exodus 19, 16, uh, trumpets sound to call the people of Israel to listen to what God is saying. In the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, verse 1 to 10, again, it's a call uh, to the people of Israel, the people of God, to, um, uh, to listen to God, to follow God, and to worship God. And so here, as well, in, in Revelation, there is, is a great trumpet uh, which sounds out announcing uh, what God is about to do. or saying, listen up. Uh, because God is about to act. We, uh, we see the first of that in, in uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. It says, When the, uh, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them, the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. This is um, interesting. Interestingly enough, this is where the old phrase comes for a hellfire and brimstone preacher, uh, where uh, pastors used to, you know, preach. You kind of turn or burn, uh, kind of thing. You, you either accept Christ or, uh, or you suffer the consequences. And, and much of uh, preaching years ago was was so focused on uh, on the, the law, I guess, rather than than the grace in that. And, and people would preach and preach and preach, yelling about uh, who God is and that you need to follow Him. And they often called them hellfire and brimstone preachers. When this first trumpet uh, sounded, hell and, uh, and fire fell to the earth. A third of the earth were burned up. A third of the trees and the grass was destroyed. Now, again, these may not be literal numbers, or, or they may be, but the idea is that much of the earth, but not all of it, was destroyed uh, by this, this first thing. The second trumpet uh, sounds, and uh, all of a sudden... Um, a mountain of fire is thrown down into the sea and a third of all the animals die. A third of all the ships are destroyed. And you get the picture. Not all of it, but God leaves a little, but destroys the most. Again, giving people an opportunity to see His power and His might and turn to Him. The third trumpet sounds and a blazing torch hits the streams. Now, this is called uh, a star called Wormwood. In the Old Testament, wormwood is mentioned a, a number of times, and, and each time it represents a, a bitter taste or bitterness, which meant all of the, the water would have uh, been bitter and unusable. We saw it find, just for your referencing, find the, uh, the word wormwood or the term wormwood meaning bitterness in, in Deuteronomy and Proverbs and Jeremiah and a couple times in Amos. I'm happy to give you those references later if you want. Uh, but each time it means bitterness or uh, it, uh, and disappointment. It destroyed the water. Then the fourth, uh, fourth trumpet sounds and the sun and the moon and the stars are struck and a third of all of the light 
all the light and a third of the light of the day and a third of the light at night was destroyed. And then as the fifth, the fifth trumpet sounds, this is in Revelation chapter 9, the fifth trumpet sounds, Satan, the great abyss is open and it says Satan and his demons were loosed to torture the people. Not to kill them, but to torment them and to torture them day and night, but except for the people of God. Look at me in chapter 9. It says this in verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw uh, sorry, a star that, that fell from the sky. And uh, that's when the, the, uh, sorry, the star was given the, the key to the shaft of the abyss. Then when the abyss opened, smoke rose from it and smoke like from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the moon were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came out on the earth and they were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the earth, or sorry, the grass of the earth or any plant, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion. During the days, um, sorry, during those days, people still will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will not come to them. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or any tree, but only those the people did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So even again, as God is allowing this pestilence to uh, go across the earth and destroy again a portion of the people, He protects His own and says, to Satan and the demons and all those released from the abyss, you cannot touch my people. The next trumpet sounds and a third of all mankind is killed with smoke and fire and sulfur. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, it says this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by all the plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping the demons or idols of gold and silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their, or their thefts. Jesus is causing all of this destruction to come on all of those who do not trust Him. And He is allowing the punishment that He always promised would happen. If you do not trust in Him, it leads to death and destruction. If you trust in Him, it leads to life. And yet the whole time these are rolling out, He is hopeful and He's, he's longing for people to turn to Him. And He says all of this happened. And a third of mankind has now been killed. A large portion of mankind has been killed and still... People do not turn to Him. People refuse to turn from their sin and to acknowledge that He is God. As the seventh trumpet sounds, the temple of God is open and people can see the Ark of the Covenant and they hear the thunder and the lightning and they see God for who He is on His throne. Now, all of this sounds terrible and frightening and, and, and confusing in some ways, but if you remember, this is, this is after the, uh, the church age and, and Christ has called the church or His children home. And this section represents a number of years of tribulation. Now, um, if you're, you're in math and you're looking at all the numbers, much of this adds up to 
uh, to seven years of tri- uh, tribulation, but I don't know if it's seven literal years because seven uh, in the book of Revelation often means that this is from God and it's just absolute, but this is absolutely a time of tribulation on the earth, a time uh, of suffering and struggle for those who have turned against God or refused to acknowledge God. And yet there is opportunity to show grace and there's mercy and there are those who will come to Christ in these extreme times of suffering and these struggle. And it leads us into this next section of uh, Revelation 15 and 16 where we see these seven bowls or seven plagues. This is uh, what happens to those who oppose God and who persecute the church. Is Revelation chapter 15 and 16. In verse 2, you see where there, there are boils on the skins of the followers of, of Satan and those who have turned uh, against God or away from God. In verse 3, you see every, every living creature in the sea dies. In verse 4 to 7, blood covers all of the earth. There's death and destruction everywhere. Uh, verses 8 and 9, the sun's heat scorches people. Now, we're a sun-scorched country, uh, sun-burnt land, but nothing like this. It says the sun's heat is beyond what people can bear. And people are scorched and killed by the heat of the sun in verses 8 and 9. Verses 10 and 11, Satan's throne and his kingdom are tossed into darkness and in verses 12 to 16 the river euphrates dries up and satan and his followers prepare to battle against god in verse 17 and 21 there's an earthquake like nothing anyone has ever experienced an earthquake for all earthquakes hailstones in this uh storm verse 17 to 21 says are like a hundred pounds each these are some big hailstones your car even in your garage is going to be no safety for this kind of stuff This storm absolutely destroys. And in this section of Revelation, we see the power of God over all things, over all of nature. He is in charge. He controls how much heat we get from the sun and how little heat we get. He controls all the the health things. He controls all the animals of the land or the sea. He is powerful, Lord, even to, to have power over Satan's throne and his kingdom. As in verses 10 and 11, Satan's throne and his kingdom are all tossed into the darkness. Jesus is Lord over all. As seen in these seven seals that were opened only by him, he was the only one with the power and the authority to do that. He said, don't worry, the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered all, and he has the power to open these seals. And as he opens these seals, we see more and more of his power and authority. And then these bowls and these plagues, are, are, are released and opened and sent out onto the earth. Judgments on those who stand against God. He shows that Satan, Satan and his enemies think that they're strong, but they're no match for our God. We see these judgments for all those who oppose God. And in between these, uh, the power of God seen in these uh, the seven seals and this judgment of God in these uh, seven bowls or seven plagues, we... Uh, we see beautiful passage talking about God's power over Satan. Now, I'll lead you to, to read some of this on your own. This is in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. But I want to read a beautiful passage in, uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 1 to 3, talking about the power and the authority of God. Uh, Revelation 10, verse 1 says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like a sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. 
He was holding a little scroll, and he lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and gave a shout out like the roar of a lion. When he shouted out, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. This is a beautiful passage of the power and authority of God. Someone who's so big and so mighty, he, he stands one foot in the sea, one foot in the land, as he, he speaks like a, the mighty roar of a lion uh, shines out to show his power and his authority. And in verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 11, we see it mentions two witnesses, uh, which in turn actually stands for the, the church of God in this time of tribulation, in this time of, of struggle and, and difficulty. And it says that uh, they will, uh, the people around, uh, those who oppose God, will trample, um, sorry, they will, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I'll appoint two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth, mourning at prophesying who God is. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. Anyone who tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours them. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power like that in the Old Testament to, uh, uh, to, to shut uh, the heavens and to stop it from raining or uh, to, um, uh, to, sorry, to, to announce that uh, the water would turn to blood, and it would. God gives them all power uh, and authority there of Him. Now, it mentions this 42 months or 1,260 days is the same amount of time. They both represent three and a half years. Again, Revelation is divided into not only uh, groups of 12, but of groups of uh, variations of, of the number seven, to show of God as absolute. And uh, this in particular is a time of immense tribulation <coughs> for those who, uh, who don't trust in Jesus. Um, God's call is to recognize His power uh, and His authority and to trust in Jesus in His time. Uh, this is also mentioned in, uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 25, and Daniel 9, 24 and 25, a time in which the, uh, the temple will be destroyed, God's house, uh, for a season, but the church will still survive, a remnant will survive to, to rebuild uh, the temple and to still show God's power. The church will continue to win people to Christ in this time of struggle, although the, the persecution is extreme and God's power will be with them, just like it was in the Old Testament. And it mentions water to blood like happened with Moses, the, the, the plagues in, in Egypt, uh, showing God's power to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, the sun, as, as Joshua in Joshua 10 uh, says to the sun to stop and the sun, uh, it, it, sorry, the, the, there's power over uh, the nature as God gives to him. Satan will think he is one for this season of three and a half years or whatever that is, uh, for this season that is in God's hands. But once dead, only for a few days, these who are in the church, says God will raise them from the dead as witnesses of life in him to those who uh, are all around there's a story, finally, of, um, uh, in, in chapter 12 of this, a woman uh, and a dragon. This is clearly a story of Jesus and his power over Satan. Verse 1 to 6 says that this, uh, there's a dragon who's there. Uh, there's a woman who's pregnant with a child, and the dragon is wanting to kill uh, the child. And, and so he, he waits there to, uh, uh, to try to devour the child as, as he's born. Uh, this is 
would remind any of our, our church, I think, of uh, the Gospels that tell the story of, of King Herod who uh, tried to kill Jesus as being the king uh, by killing all the firstborn. But Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt for a period of years as God told them to, exactly as it describes here in, in Revelation. And then in uh, verses 7 to 12, we see Satan isn't able to destroy Jesus as a child and he battles with the other angels in heaven and yet Satan is and all those who follow him are hurled down to the earth. Jesus is more powerful than Satan on every ground. And then Satan realizes he cannot destroy Jesus as a child and he cannot uh, destroy or or go against the angels and God's power in heaven until he wages war against uh, the followers of Christ, the church. Hence the persecution of the church which persists to this day and we see it all around the world. We hear the stories of of ISIS and and North Korea and Turkey and Egypt and Syria and, and extreme persecution on the followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus stands strong over all and and conquers all. He is victorious over all. Satan keeps on thinking he's got God, but he just can't. God beats him on every every corner in every way. Chapter 13, you see uh, the Antichrist appears, which simply means one who is against Christ. And here in Revelation, it's represented by uh, Satan and a beast and a false prophet. Uh, This is in, in Revelation 13, verses 1 to 15. You also see the story of the false prophet there in Daniel chapter 7. So we bring the Old Testament stories into it. We see those who are false teachers all around us uh, in in our life today with other uh, religions, whether it be Islam or Buddhism and uh, North Korea's teachings of their dictatorship and, and all that stand against God and seek to persecute the church. But none can stand against our God. This uh, Satan and the beast and the false prophet is almost like a, a replica or a cheap replica, I guess, of the, uh, the Trinity representing Satan's coming attempt to stand against God. And yet over and over and over in Revelation, Satan tries to win against God and Jesus and he just can't keep up. Revelation, instead of scaring us, should actually reassure us and, and firm up for us the foundational idea that Jesus is Lord over all. In Revelation, the the great preacher Martin Luther says, we can see that Satan is real and that Satan must be resisted. And James 7 says, if we resist the devil, he must flee. But we must also recognize that that gospel preaching stirs up Satan. And if there's a church that's following God, Satan is going to be at war against that. And we are in a spiritual warfare. Martin Luther says this, he says, the devil does not rest when he's about to lose his kingdom. If you wish to, and you do honor God's name by your teaching and by the example you set, the devil will attack you keenly in your person, your honor, your possessions, your wife, and your children. Revelation also warns us that we're to be on guard against those who stand against the Word of God. But it reminds us over and over and over again that these are not things we need to fear, these are not things we need to worry about. Because no matter how Satan tries to stop God or destroy the followers of Jesus, we are safe in the arms of God. We are eternally secure. And those who stand against God will someday be destroyed. While those who trust in Jesus will have life and hope and joy and peace in a life that is far better than anything we can imagine as we just trust in Him. Next week we talk about some of those the end and, and that, that battle and conflict uh, between Satan and his followers and uh, the, the followers of Jesus. 
and how Jesus does conquer all, and Jesus pays back those who have persecuted his church and those who decide not to follow him, and how God rewards and honors and secures those who trust in him. Church, you are eternally secure. There is a spiritual war that we face every day. The more and more you follow God, the harder it gets sometimes. And the souls of those who are persecuted, who are slain for their faith, are saying to God, how long? And he says, still a little longer. There are more who need to come to the cross. There are more who need to, uh, to die for their faith. But don't worry. I will win in the end. Now, some would say in the book of Revelation, I said this in our first week, that people just say, well, I've read the back of the book and, and we win. And that's all I need to know about Revelation. I think there's much more to that. That is a, a comforting thing to go, you know what? This is terrible, but there's more to it. But we need to be assured, church, in these times of spiritual conflict, in these times of difficulty, and there are more and more difficult days to come. There's more and more persecution or suffering for the church in the days ahead until the Lord Jesus returns. But He is powerful and He is mighty. And we can leave that judgment in His hands. We have a, a, a mission as a church to keep preaching the truth of His Word. We have a mission of a church to recognize who He is, our King of kings and Lord of lords with all power and all authority, and to share Him with the world, to share the light of Jesus into the darkness of our community and our society and our families. We need to lift Jesus up. We need to not be unaware that Jesus is coming back. And the days of people, our lives on this earth are numbered. There will, become a day, there will come a day in which people have, they don't have that option to turn to Christ or not because their days on this, day, on this earth are gone. We have a mission to lift Jesus up, to recognize the power and the authority that's in Him, but also the grace which is afforded to any who will trust in Him. And we need to be offering to people, miserable, sinful, sometimes persecuting people, we need to be offering the grace and the mercy of Christ. We need to be not unaware. We need to be aware and we need to be alert, church, that Jesus is coming and He's coming soon. We need to be aware that although there's spiritual warfare out there and Satan will try to stand against you at every sand, the Bible says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee. He has no power over you. He thinks he does every once in a while. He tries to deceive you. He tries to, uh, to trick you. Satan has nothing compared to God. Over and over and over in Revelation, you'll see Satan try to stand against Jesus and he's wiped out every time. Keep trusting him. Keep following him. He is mighty to save. Let me just pray for us. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are. And Lord, even as we look at passages of, of, of judgment and, and punishment for those who, who turn away from you or those, uh, not who turn, who, those who, who do not trust in you and they, they deny that you exist. They refuse to acknowledge that you are Lord. Lord, we see the punishment that, that rolls out on the, the face of the earth and all those who do not trust in you. And yet, God, even in those times, you show grace and you show mercy and you long for people to trust in you. Lord, help us to seize the opportunity as a church that you've given us now to be your church, to lift you up and allow you, Lord, to save our families and to save our loved ones and to save our co-workers and to save this community with your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you that you are powerful and you are mighty but you are gracious and you're merciful. And you didn't just die for the just and the right and the perfect ones. 
He died for me. He died for us. He died for every rat bag in this community. Every sinful one, everyone who's standing against you and your church, you died so that they don't have to. Lord, help us to not battle against the people. Help us to not battle against one another. Help us to lift you up as King of kings and Lord of lords to follow you in your goal to share your grace and mercy with our community. Be honored and glorified through us, Lord, your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.